February 7th, 2024. We're in Masechet Bava Kamandaf Five lines from the bottom of the Amud, where the beginning of the line says Al Pi Edim. The Mishnah detailed for us the uh, situation that it needs to be within which a person's paying for the nezek, the damage that they cause. It says Al Pi Edim. What's that coming to help us understand further with regards to, well, obligation obviously is based on testimony. Says the Gemara, this is coming to teach us, Perat, it's excluding biknas You see, the Torah says that Elohim. generally speaking, with regards to penalties, um, the only way a person would be obligated is with what's called Elohim. I use that word purposefully like that because it's Belashon Chol. In other words, the Bedin needs to penalize the person. We have different types of penalties that we've discussed over the course of this Masechet and elsewhere. When it comes to a penalty, not an obligation of a standard damage or a debt or something of that sort, the way it needs to and must be determined is based on Bedin of Mumchin. It comes to tell us, number one, that if the betin aren't on the level of mumchin, if they don't have simicha, they can't deal with it. But furthermore, if an individual comes in and says, I admit to the fact that I did X, Y, and Z, and I'm liable to penalty, they're exempt from paying that. That's what's called modebiknas patur. We'll see it as a dirashan samich dalit. The Gemara over there, again, from the same Pasuk, Asher Yarshi'un Elohim, the Bedin finds you to be wicked, to be uh, Rasha. If you are Marshi'at Asmo, if you say on your own, no, no, I admit, I did this wrong, you're not going to be liable. Of course, that would be, what's that? No, no, for the penalty, for the penalty, for the Kenas, the damage you have to pay. Uh, that would be silly in American uh, law. If I were to run to court after I parked at a hydrant and admit I parked at the hydrant, so don't give me a ticket. I run up to the meter, uh, meter maid and I say, well, I did the wrong thing. I know it's just a penalty, but I'm admitting to it. It's not the way it works. But generally speaking, if uh, in Jewish law, in Torah law, we're dealing with a penalty, I guess the underlying concept is it's not per se that you're obligated. It's that we're penalizing you so that you learned the lesson. You learned the lesson. You admitted to it. Uh, we'll let you off. That's what the Torah says. Well, that being the case, there is a debate later on on Daf Ayin Dalid, which the Gemara is alluding to over here, about whether when I walk into court again and I admit to the fact, is it just that Betin listens and they say, okay, we're not going to obligate you based on your testimony, based on your admission, or is it that we'll wipe your record clean that even if witnesses come in afterwards, we won't make you obligated? So again, uh, we are stating clearly, in general, if I walk into court and I say I'm obligated, they obligate me, even though I'm not, but I'm admitting on my own. When it comes to kinas, when it comes to penalties, such as we're taking for granted just because it's easiest, hatzinezek of short time, uh, the first three times that it occurred, we're going to see it's a mahloka, that's the way we go, the halakha, of my ox uh, uh, gored someone else's. I walk into court and I admit to it, they accept my testimony, but they don't obligate me. Does that mean they don't obligate me and they say, let's clean his record? He can't be obligated on this issue. He cleaned himself. He learned his lesson. Or is it alternatively, we heard your words. We're not going to make you obligated based on your words, which we normally would. But if witnesses still come in afterwards, you should just know we're then going to make you obligated. Says the Gemara, perhaps what we're... In what situation? You pay half of the damage. 
penalty. We envision. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Good. So I've I've been trying to plant this one the whole time. They will see over here. I don't know if we'll make it to, to today. The first mention of a mahlokit on this matter. It happens to be where posek lahalacha. We'll see that as well. That short time hatsinezek is kenasa. Listen to why it makes sense. Why half them. If, if it's paying for damages, well, where to come up with the fact that you pay half the damages? That's nonsensical. Unless the concept is the Torah, so to speak, assumption is that everybody's animal is contained. Everybody's animal is safe. Unless three times it's proven otherwise, your responsibility in the fullest sense is not to guard your animal. We're going to penalize you so that you have your mind on it. That's the standard way of seeing it. Again, it's mahlokit. That's why I'm suggesting it as such. You want other examples of kenas? I could, we could go up with others, but it's the easiest because that's what we're talking about in this masechet. That being the case, again, if you're paying full amount, nobody's going to argue that's uh, kenas. Anytime the Torah talks about an, an extra penalty, when a person seduces a woman, he's honest, he has to pay a penalty of money, would be applicable there, as well as many other cases. But that all being the case, let's just review it one more time. I walk into court and I admit to the wrongdoing, which makes me liable to this penalty. Everybody agrees, my words, Elohim, will not make me guilty. Do they not make me guilty, but I can become guilty? Or do they not make me guilty to the extent that, extent that I'm exonerated now? You learned your lesson, uh, take a, ta- a, a hit on your wrist and make your way out the door. Does, so does it also make you, not make you guilty in the sense of counting towards showing the one, two, three? No, 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 no. It's certainly going to count as a first scoring. No, no question. Even, even according to their opinion. Even according to their opinion. So we know already that the, the, the fact is we can't judge based on your words. Your words are not binding to the extent that I can make you obligated. Uh, witnesses came afterwards, that I can judge based on. But the Gemara over here is saying maybe we can read from our Mishnah, not that way. Again, Perat, the fact that the Mishnah says that your obligation, even in penalty situations is the understanding, is based on, and only based on, witnesses, this would exclude If I admitted, and then the witnesses walked in, perhaps our Mishnah is telling us to follow the opinion, I told you there are two, that you're patur. The fact that you admitted uh, cleans your slate for this issue. That's what the Gemara suggests over here. Says the Gemara, that's all very nice, but as I just told you a few times, that's a dispute later on on Dafa Ain Dalit. The Gemara has two opinions about this. So are you going to tell me our Mishnah is only according with one opinion? That again, listen to the words, Modebiknas, the Ahakahbawedim, I admit to the penalty wrongdoing, and then witnesses come that I'm still exempt. That works according to that opinion. What about the other opinion? Haniha, this is all understood. Lemande Amar, according to the opinion that maintains that when I admit to the wrongdoing of penalty for our purposes, we're talking about a short time, and I admit to it, and even though you guys saw me and you come in and testify afterwards, I'm exempt. And that's what we're reading in this Mishnah. The Mishnah says the only time you're going to be liable is if there's witnesses at the onset, not that you walked in beforehand, but what about according to the dissenting opinion? 
Uh, if you maintain, if your opinion is that even though I admitted, and we're not going to obligate me based on that, the fact that witnesses walk in afterwards and they uh, find me guilty, what can you and should you say in our Mishnah? Answers the Gemara, you're right. According to this, according to that angle, that the witnesses can still make me obligated, even after I admitted, you can't argue that those words in our Mishnah al Edim are teaching me that novelty. That's against their opinion. Sefa itstarichle, according to that approach, that modeh biknas v'hakach ba'edim hayav, those initial words al Edim are not novel. It's the continued words. If you're, you're in court, you're admitted. Why didn't they hear? I don't you're admitted, understand. Why didn't they hear? You are the judge. They weren't sure he was admitted. You admitted. I admitted. But I. Uh, again, you admitted, but I'm not making you obligated. You need a deem to make you obligated. What do you mean? That's the law that's it. That, that, Which that's part? That part is what you just said. Need a deem to be when it comes to kenas, when it comes to penalties, the only way to be obligated is with witnesses. So earlier you said, I think you said, so if there was a betrothed girl and you went, now there's penalties to, to the father. Now I admitted it. I said, I'm exempt from paying. According to the opinion, I'm I'm entirely exempt. Now, there are other obligations. Don't don't forget, I have to stay married to her, and so on and so forth. But in terms of paying that penalty, yes, I'm exempt from that. I have to pay for pigam, I have to pay for other things. But in terms of the penalty, that's the way it works. Again, the concept is, is uh, it might be a little hard hearing it that way. I should have left it at short time. But the concept is somewhat, for me, uh, palpable. It makes a lot of sense. If the concept of penalty is, you didn't do something. I parked at the hydrant. There was no fire, nothing went wrong. You're gonna make me pay $150? Nothing happened, I was parked at the hydrant. Uh, yeah, it's a penalty, I don't want you to be parked there so that when there is a fire, you're not parked there. But if you walk in and you say, I'm very embarrassed about the fact, but I know, I, Mr. Metermaid, uh, Mrs. Metermaid, I know that I'm doing the wrong thing. You learned your lesson in a technical sense, you should be exempt, it makes sense. What's that? Okay, so that's why American law doesn't allow for it. What's that? Uh, it's embarrassing. Um, he, does, uh, he doesn't lose all that much. It's an embarrassing situation to admit. No, no, he doesn't pay. He doesn't pay. He doesn't pay. Yeah, you, you learn your lesson. You learn your lesson. What if you said it comes to exclude? Yes. explain what APAD means? Right. What if you said it comes to exclude? You're saying that it can't mean this? Al-Piyadim tells me that the only way I'll be obligated is if the witnesses walked in first to make me obligated. It excludes a case of if I walked in before the witnesses that over there I'm not obligated. So it's not talking about that. Right. That's what it means, excludes. But if the witnesses come in first and then I admit it, I'm lying. No, of course. Of course. That's a sketch. You're already embarrassed. You didn't, there's no vulnerability. No, 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 no. The witness, I don't, separate sketch. You see them and you run them? It's fine. The question is, to what extent is that binding? It's binding that we won't make him obligated now. The fact that witnesses come later on, that's a mahlokit. So, 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 so
And we'll redo it. Uh, we'll continue. We'll continue the paper. He admitted we didn't make him liable. Witnesses came in. Says the Gemara, according to that opinion, that Modebi Knasva Hakach Ba'Weidim Hayav, you have to argue that those initial words that we were dealing with, Al Piedim, those three words, are not novel. There's no Hidush in them, but rather it's the continued words that were really necessary. I'm mentioning Al Piedim Bene Horin. And uh, the last one, and Bene Berit. I mentioned what type of witnesses. So, uh, according to one approach, the mention of witnesses in and of itself has a Hidush. Told you a halacha. According to the other approach, okay, so those words didn't teach you a Hidush, but the description of what types of witnesses they need to be, that's the focus. How so? Bene Horinu Bene Berit. The words are that they need to be free witnesses and they need to be Jewish witnesses. This comes to teach us, as I just mentioned, avadim. Uh, the words horin, of course we talk about it on Pesach, but it means to be free as opposed to a slave, uh, which means to say that avadim uh, are invalidated for testimony. You need to be a part of the covenant, meaning Yisrael to exclude specifically non-Jews. Uh, it's an interesting thing that this is mentioned uh, over here of all places. In the context of Nizikin, it's a general principle with regards to Edu testimony. We only accept these sorts of witnesses. We have a Mishnah specifically in Masechet Bava Kama when it comes to damages that testimony needs to be by free Jewish people. Why over here? Is there more of a novelty than elsewhere? Hanambam writes in his Perusha Mishnayot that you may have thought that when it comes to damages, especially animals and things of that sort, I mean, who's tending to the animals? Or at the very least, who are the most people who are present, at least in his vision or the Torah's vision, with your animals? It's going to be non-Jews. You would have perhaps thought that there's an exclusion, some sort of thing over here that Torah would say on this sort of matter, where it's in the pen or it's out in the field and it's being tended to by non-Jews. Non-Jews could testify that's the Hidush, it's not so. Rosh and Siman Yotet suggests two different approaches. Rosh and Siman Yotet says that first and foremost, you would have thought that we're protecting the person who gets damaged. That's been our principle throughout. We're protecting the Nizak. Maybe there'd be an exception over here. Uh, the exception would be, since I'm protecting the person who's damaged, I would say even though in general maybe testimony needs to be from Jews who are freed, uh, who are free people, over here it wouldn't work that way. We want to protect the damaged, we would accept even non-Jewish or slave uh, individuals to testify. The second answer of Rosh is that maybe the Hidush over here at the end of Siman Yotet is that even if you're dealing with a non-Jewish case, it's the non-Jew who gored you, maybe, in, or, or, and you want to bring witnesses who are non-Jews. After all, it's not a Jew versus Jew case. Maybe over here you can accept the non-Jews. And a step further, they, they, uh, they note on, this, on the bottom of the page over here that you should look at Yam Shel Shilomo. I looked up Yam Shel Shilomo. Yam Shel Shilomo makes it even further clear. He says, well, listen to the reality. If you were to walk into what's called Irkaot, the non-Jewish secular court system, you would be able to extract money from this guy. You say, this guy, Christopher, uh, gored his animal, gored my animal. You bring witnesses of whatever non-Jews you need. You're going to walk into the Din, it's going to hurt you more. The Hidush is yes. Nonetheless, it needs to be Jewish witnesses. Anything that's taking place in the Jewish court for any of those three reasons, there's a novelty, either because we'd normally be dealing with non-Jews on this, you'd think we would allow them, or maybe we want to protect the person who got damaged, we'd allow any types of witnesses, or maybe because even non-Jewish involvement in this case, so then you can accept the 
the non-Jews, just walk into a secular court, they would accept the non-Jews as testimony. The Hidush of our Mishnah, the understanding of the Halakha is, it needs to be even for Nizikin, Bene Berit and Bene Horin. If you're dealing with a Jewish case, a Halakha case in Betin, the witnesses must be Bene Horin and Bene Berit. Says the Gemara. Why are they Jewish and free. free. Yes. Why are you free? Are you, are you asking the continued in Eli's absence? The continued lines of the Gemara. The Gemara says, It was necessary to teach both of these. Is that, get, listen to the next lines and tell me if it answers it. Let me just, uh, it, it might, I might already partially answer it. When we mention uh, Avadim, we're referring to Avadim Kanaanim, we're talking about non Jewish slaves. So maybe that's your question. Jeffrey says, if they're non-Jews, well then, they're non-Jews. I mean, what are you dealing with? The halakha with regards to non-Jewish slaves is that they are obligated in some mitzvot. Non-Jewish slaves, an evet kna'ani is obligated in mitzvot like a woman. I mean, it sounds terrible to say, but we always say nashim avadim uktanim. We talk about women together with slaves because non-Jewish slaves have partial obligation. We give them partial conversion. I mean, that's the way it works. Uh, so as a result, it may have included them a little bit more than an entirely uh, non-Jewish person. Well, give it a second. Says the Gemara Usericha, it was necessary in our Mishnah, in the Halakha, to mention that both as invalidated for witnesses are slaves as well as non-Jews. Maybe you could have just told me slaves. Well, listen, slaves are obligated in mitzvot. Slaves have some involvement and they're still excluded from being witnesses. But you would have said, I'll tell you why. The reason is, the reason is, halachically speaking, when you deal with non-Jewish slaves, they don't have a lineage. Rashi quotes from the Dera- what? Jewish slaves are Jews. What do you mean? Uh, Jewish slaves are Jews. Of course they're allowed to testify. They're Jews. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Rashi quotes the Derashah in Masechet Yevamot that the Pasuk says by Akedat Yitzhak that you're supposed to be, that, uh, 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 that you're going to stay im hahamor. Uh, that uh, I, uh, says Avraham, will go with Yitzhak and you'll stay im hahamor, the derashah of the rabbis. It's a very hard one to say. Once upon a time, you probably wouldn't say it on recording. It's am hadome lahamor. We imagine non-Jews, for this matter, as if they're animals. It doesn't mean that they are animals in their full sense. It means with regards to lineage, with regards to yehus, they don't have a halachic yehus. You can say, I'm related to uh, Harari, uh, to Cohen, and to Beda, or something like that. When it comes to non-Jews, that relation is a non-binding relation. As a result, or, or specific, not non-Jews, avadim. As a result, there's no question of legacy for them. If I, says the slave, am a part of this system of Jewish law, and I have no continued legacy, my child is not connected to me in any halachic way, the understanding is I have no burden of responsibility. I don't care what I'll say or what I'll do. And pass. Oh. No, no, but avadim have no yehos ever. Yes. as well. Sure. But he has future lineage. 
future lineage. Oh, that's what you meant by future, yeah, future lineage, yes. Had you told me just Avid is invalidated, I would have said the reason an Avid is more dangerous, and you'd assume he's not telling the truth, is since he doesn't have any future lineage, he has no responsibility uh, to keep his name and reputation. What's the difference? So he'll lie in court. However, when it comes to non-Jews, halachically speaking, we do, the we give lineage, whereas by Jews, generally speaking, it's by the mother's uh, lineage uh, in terms of Judaism and nationality. By non-Jews, you do it by the man, by the father, but there is lineage, so there's more of a responsibility. The child's going to be uh, linked to him. I would have said maybe a non-Jew is valid for testimony. So then just teach me the non-Jew. You would say, okay, the non-Jew does have lineage, but he's not refined in character. You want to know why? Because he's not obligated in mitzvot. When you're obligated in mitzvot, then you fulfill mitzvot, even like a woman, as an Eved Kana'ani does, I should say very clearly, like, in such a circumstance, you become a refined character. You're going to be more truthful. So I would have said the only reason non-Jews are invalidated for testimony, they don't have mitzvot. I would have perhaps said that a slave, an Eved Kana'ani, would be permitted to testify, it's necessary to mention both of these in the Mishnah, that you must be bin Horin and you must be bin Berit. No, bin Berit is, non, is excluding non-Jews. I would have said only non-Jews are invalidated because they're not obligated any mitzvot. Eved Kna'ani, which is obligated in mitzvot, I would have said maybe he's included. Because the, my word, I wouldn't. Inc- I would have said that's normal non-Jews. The Eved Kanani is not a regular non-Jew. So he's got the same obligations as my daughter. For this matter, he is. For this matter, for, for testimony, he is. Mahlokin, mahlokin on the fine day. We didn't deal with halakha Yes. 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 Am hadome lahamot. Yeah, but it was an avid. Uh, we say the nationality of slaves. What do you want me to tell you? It's a, it's a dirasha, ultimately. So it's an asmachta. It's a, 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 to, to be yoshev. Im hachamor with doresh. And then the Mishnah continued, the Mishnah said um, that women, if you recall, if a woman gets damaged or if a woman's uh, a property damages another, they too are obligated or receive as well. We don't always include women in halakha, in Torah, in mitzvot, and the same things. Who said women are the same as men with regards to damages? Says the Gemara, we have several pesukim. Each one nuanced in its specific context, teaching me that men and women and many halakha laws are equivalent. Let's start with it. Amar of Yehuda, Amar of Echentana Dever Bishmael, the first pasuk. Amar Kera, Ish o Isha ki ya'asu mikol hatot. So the pasuk over here, it's important to briefly mention in Parashat Naso, its context, it's talking about specifically Gezel HaGed, but we're not going to, we'll just talk about it's a person who stole and then is in court swearing that they didn't steal. And they're found to be liars. 
What's the halacha in such a circumstance? They have to bring a korban for that lie in terms of testimony. But listen to the words of the pasuk. It says, a man or a woman who commits any of the sins. Now again, it's in a specific context, which we'll return to the significance of that in a little bit, but the words of the pasuk are very telling. A man or a woman who commits any of the sins. It says uh, the statement here in the, the Beraita. Uh, it means that men and women, with all prohibitions that are perhaps liable to punishment as well, men and women are equivalent, meaning they're both obligated in them. Of course, we take this for granted all the time. We say, why are women obligated in Kiddush on Shabbat? Well, if they're obligated in the mitzvot lo then they're obligated in the mitzvot ta'aseh. Who said they're obligated to mitzvot, mitzvot lo ta'aseh? This pasuk, these pasukim. This is the pasuk that teaches us that women are the same as men with regards to negative, prohibitive things in the Torah. Continues to get the beraita. tana. A different beraita or a different dirasha in the beraita from a pasuk. This week's parasha. Elle hamishpatim ashe ve'ele. Excuse me, hamishpatim ashe tasim lifnehem. Let's briefly remember what the first pasuk in parashat mishpatim is introducing. It's introducing what we call dinim. What are dinim? Dinim are financial obligations and laws and details. That's what Parashat Mishpatim by and large is about. It talks about uh, commercial disputes and issues and damages and things of that sort. Well, the Pasuk says, listen carefully, These are the statutes and laws that you'll place in front of them. Well, in front of them seems to be all-inclusive. We're going to return in a moment to this derasha to address the Tosafot's famous words on this matter, but that's the second derasha. So the first derasha was about the punishment of a korban, but an all-inclusive kolhato tells me men and women with regards to prohibitions and punishments are the same. Second pasuk is similar, but it's a little bit more detailed, a little bit more specific, financial, uh, commercial, disputes and issues, men and women are the same. Lastly, just taught it uh, three days ago. On Daf is Dore is it points out that this last derasha is not exactly connected to the earlier ones. It's not with regards to an obligation of a woman. It's with regards to the obligation of a person to a woman. But it got included in this to say that women and men are equal in many matters. What's not exactly sure what you're asking, but I will uh, no, I will no, answer no, it nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. So no, 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 the opposite. That's inclusion. Uh, so uh, I think what you're asking is the following: If we are equating men and women so much in this gemara, let me ask it a little differently. How come when it comes to mitzvot aseh to the positive commandments, when it's a positive time-bound commandment, women are not obligated? Is that your question? Of course. So the Gemara Masechet Kiddushin and Daf Lamedalit has a long-winded derasha, ultimately speaking, learning from Tefillin that women are exempt. What the philosophical underpinnings of it are and, and, and were, that's a longer conversation. But women are exempt from mitzvot aseh shazman grama. What you're talking about is in three places in Talmud, the Gemara nonetheless says that, for example, in, that if it's a rabbinic obligation, such as Mikra Megillah, Nerot, Hanukkah, Arbako, Sotan, Pesach, women are included because they were too a part of the miracle. Because it's a positive time down mitzvah, 
which women are generally exempt from. Your wife, my wife, and daughter are and daughter are exempt from lulav and and uh, sukkah, etc. Nonetheless, migilah they're obligated in. Why? Because they were a part of the miracles. It's a separate conversation. That's what I'm saying. Over here, we're talking about the negative side. We don't need an extra reason. The Torah told us. Now, this last one, as I said, is not exactly the same. This last one is talking about if an animal of a person kills a person. Uh, so my animal, lo'aleno, kills a man or a woman. Again, you're not talking in this situation of the obligation of the woman. Your obligation is with regards to the person who damaged the woman, who killed the woman. And then the Torah describes the animal gets killed and the owner of the animal needs to play, pay what's called kofir, a ransom amount, to the, well, the family members of the person who died. There as well, with regards to causing the damage to the woman, killing the woman, you are responsible just as much as if it was to a man. Okay, what the Gemara will go on to do in just a moment but I want to pause for a second and address the Tosafot, is explain why we needed all three of these. Again, we had a pasuk in the context of a hayuv korban, kol hatot, all obligations, men and women are the same with regards to prohibitions. A second pasuk, mishpatim, dinim, financial obligations, men and women the same. And the third one with regards to if you killed a woman, uh, or your property killed a woman, men and women in that respect, whoever was getting killed, are equivalent. The uh, middle pasuk, it's also nice to focus on this, is this week's parasha, Ele HaMishpatim, so just listen to the pasuk for a moment, Ve'ele HaMishpatim HaShetasim Lifnehem, Lifnehem means in front of them, of course it's command of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Moshe, the Masoret tells us Ve'ele was connecting it to Ma'amad Har Sinai, God is commanding this to Moshe, who's Lifnehem, in front of who? Who's supposed to know these laws? So the simple answer in today's day and age is for all the people, not the easiest answer. It means the judges. That's the simple interpretation of the pasuk. The judges should know all of these laws. Of course, we can extend it further. Lifnehem is a broad statement. It means judges and the common people. Everybody should know the law. But it certainly, at the very least, includes judges. Tosafot in Kiddushin points this out explicitly. It's including both judges and people. Therefore, our Tosafot brings up the following issue. Could a woman be a judge? Could a woman be a Dayan, according to Jewish law? We just, uh, we, we know, for one reason or another, women are invalidated from Eidut, from testimony. Can they be judges, Dayanim? Can they sit on the court presiding committee determining what the halacha is in this situation and judging? This is Tosafot on the left-hand side. They assume from this statement in the Gemara that they could be judges. And as a result, with that assumption, questioning that notion. The second one says, they start with a question. Again, everything we just discussed, they take for granted. You read it, you know means betin, you know means including women. He says, the pasuk lifnehem, you should place in front of them, is specifically referring to those who are kosher for judges. For judging, if the Gemara elsewhere says lifnehem means for people who are appropriate to be judging, meaning they have to be muksha, they can't be hediotot, they have to have gone through the training and been conferred the ability to judge, well then why is it including women? Women shouldn't be kosher for judging. Why not? Ditnan beperek basiman, the Mishnah Masechin Nita says, Kola kasher ladun kasher laid. Any person who's kosher to judge is kosher to testify as well. Guess what? Isha 
פסולה להעיד כדאמרינן באחובל, אנדף פחתן, אהו מסכתן, שולחן ערוך קודשן משפט סימן ל"ד, it's explicit, women are invalidated to testify. If women are not allowed to testify, so then how come we're allowing, it appears, for women to judge? Continues to... You could go the other way, but it seems to be an explicit pasuk over here. How are you going to deal with that? They might have a logic there. So, how does that work? The Mishnah says you can only be a judge if you could be a witness as well. No, it says it both ways. It says it both ways. It's also kashir lehai, but it goes both ways. It goes both ways. So Tosafot suggests that that Mishnah was really not addressing women. That Mishnah was addressing only men. Within the men species, within the men zone, anyone who's kosher for testifying is kosher for, for, for being a judge, and vice versa. Hang tight, hang tight, I was saying, give me one second. Again, Eli's not here, well, everyone's filling in, but no, no, that's this one. Yeah, give, give it a second, Devorah, that's, that's the next lines in Tosafot. So Tosafot's initial answer, That Mishnah is talking about men. The heading is men, no, not women, we're not talking about women. Men who are kosher, good, so that's the answer. It means that according to Tosafot, quite clearly, and this will stick, Women could be judges. Uh, continues Tosafot, it says, Umi dichtiv, it's unique when Tosafot does, they do this, the same thing in Masechet Yevamon, they just quote a pasuk from Sefer Shofetim. Say it again. The Mishnah says explicitly, they're contingent one upon the other. Yeah. So, so Tosafot now questions, what about the Pasuk in Sefer Shofetim? Perek Dalit, there was a very important woman. Her name was Devorah. She may have been a prophet. Pasuk seems to say she was a prophet. Pasuk says explicitly, Shafetat Israel. Oh, that's very nice. It's not a question per se, Jared. It's a proof. Maybe I have a proof. Yeah, we don't need a stretch and Mishnah and Gemara and things. Uh, it's explicit pasuk. There's a woman. Her name was Devora. Shafetai's en lahaviraya. Don't bring a proof. Maybe Devora was different. Mishum Shechina. She was a prophetess. And as a result, maybe the people accepted her as a judge. We learned in Masechet Sanhedrin and Davkaf Dalit that if you and I have a dispute and we want to accept people as our judges, that's okay. In other words, the objective Betin needs to be people who are trained for it. If you and I say, but we trust these three people, their word is binding. If in Kibbelu Alehem, their word is binding. Maybe that's what happened with Devorah. She wasn't inherently okay to judge. The people accepted her as a judge. That's the approach of Tosafot over here. Tosafot Masechet Kitin notably says she wasn't judging. It says Shafetah means she was teaching them Halacha. Also interesting, it means that a woman is allowed to be more halachas, what Tosafot writes. In Masechet Gitim, what about halacha l'ma'aseh? Shohan Aruch and Siman Lamedale, there's posek like Harambam. Harambam in Perek Alf, Vichot Melachim, Halacha He, says that women are not allowed to be judges. What do you mean? Gemara, Mishnah, and so forth. He quotes a dirasha elsewhere there in Masechet Yivamot and in other places that the Pasuk says with regards to a king, Som Tasim Alecha Melech. 
and the derasha is you shall surely place upon you a king, melech velo malka. However, the rabbis derive that they say a king needs to be male and not female. Harambam continues it based on Talmud Yerushalmi, vechen kol misimot bemashma. And so to all other matters of sirara, of authority, of jurisdiction. It means that any authoritative position is for men and not for women. Hard to define what's an authoritative position. But if you've been paying attention to the Jewish Orthodox news over the course of the last 20 or so years, that's the question. Women rabbis, is it an authoritative position or not? Seems clear to me Harambam would unequivocally say, not appropriate on halachic grounds, not hashkafa, not, I know it doesn't feel right to me. It's asur according to Harambam. Rav Moshe Feinstein does deal with the following. Rav Moshe Feinstein says, can a woman be a mashkiach? Can a woman be a mashkiach timidi in a, in a restaurant? Of course, the knee-jerk response is she doesn't have a long scraggly beard. Absolutely not. But Rav Moshe Feinstein writes, it might be dependent upon this mahloket. He says, maybe according to Tosafot, permitted. Like a dayan. According to Harambam, it's an authoritative position, maybe inappropriate. Then he says, maybe not. He says, maybe the authoritative position is permitted because, because because she has someone on top of her. She needs to answer to others. Authoritative means like a king. Authoritative means my word is binding and nobody else's. That would not be the reality with a mashkiach. But he's specifically, as many point out, dealing with a woman who's really in need of money. She, I think, is a, is a, uh, a uh, what's it called, an almana. She's a widow, and he's trying to stretch it. He doesn't seem very excited about it. His student, Sheilot Shbot Mishneh Halachot, says it's not our tradition. They shouldn't be doing something of that sort. The story is told in the early 1970s. My father. Father, oh no, he wasn't in the Shior then. And Rabbi Salavechik Shior, when Golda Meir became the Prime Minister of Israel, they asked him, uh, Rabbi, is this permitted? Is it like a king? Is it not like a king? And the poskim actually, at that time, addressed it. He said, that's the least of our issues, halakha, with this woman. He very much didn't like her as a prime minister, apparently. So he didn't even want to address the matter. The question is raised, and been raised in recent times, could a woman be the president of a board? Could a woman be the president of a synagogue or something of that sort? The poskim, by and large, are fully permitting, and I'll explain to you why, because their understanding is that presidency of a synagogue, of a school, of something of that sort, leaving hashkafa matters. So hashkafa is important, you need to address but from a strict halakha, is it like a king? The assumption is that they are democratically voted in or determined. They have to answer to the larger board. And that being the case, it's not authoritative in that respect. Again, just back to the words of Tosafot over here. Tosafot, none Yes, we will, we, when we get to the pehet, I give you my word, we'll deal with it with regards to testimony. With regards to this, with regards to serara, not clear. It seems to be something about the dogma. There's different questions, conversations specifically, but it's never explicitly spelled out anywhere what the problem per se, so to speak, is. Uh, you know, the poskim at the beginning of Elchot Shehita talk about whether a woman could be, uh, could, could slaughter and things of that sort, uh, because of the same type of serara issues. All right, that's the larger issue, but again, Tosafot is matir dayan uh, to be a woman. Uh, Harambam would not be matir it. That, at the very least, is very clear for us. I'll just begin the next words in the Gemara. The Gemara says, well, we have three separate derashot, 
as we repeated more than once. And you should know all three of these derashot are necessary. Again, the derashav kol hatot, the derashav elehamishpatim, and the derashah lastly of of shor shor shaharag hemit isho isha utsriche. It's necessary for us to learn all of these. Di ashmeinan kamaita had the Torah just told me in the context of um, the korban. Uh, I lied. I stole and I lie. I have to bring the korban, both man and woman. I would have said hatam hu Over there, the Torah has care and has compassion for the woman. We're dealing with a korban. We want the woman to get atonement, just like we want the man to get atonement. Avaldinin. However, when it comes to uh, financial issues, I would have said maybe that's only for men. Ish debar I would have said perhaps, well, it's applicable to a woman to achieve atonement to the korban. She's a part of it. When it comes to commercial activity and laws binding in the workforce, that's for men. Everybody knows men do work, generally speaking, in that workforce more than women until today. And as a result, those laws of Ve'ele HaMashbatim might only be applicable to men and not to women. That's why you need the second mention. So then why didn't the Torah just tell me, you know something, even though women are not always in the workforce, they still have the same laws. You can't steal from them, they can't steal from you, you can't damage them, they can't damage you, etc. And of course, you'll know that the korban as well. You would have said, I would have said perhaps that it's for her hiyuta, which means to say Rashi spells it out more in Kiddushin and Daf but over here Rashi says as well, briefly, it says the understanding means the following. If a woman has no binding laws in the business workforce, nobody will want to do work with her. Nobody will engage with her. Why not? She can steal anything from you and she's not liable for it. She as well will want to run away from you because you could steal anything from her and you won't be liable. It will take away from her livelihood if she needs to be involved. You would have said it's only applicable there, but when it comes to kapara, to atonement, a man who's obligated mitzvot, maybe the Torah is more concerned about his atonement as opposed to a woman who's not obligated in all the mitzvot. Why don't you teach me those two uh, uh, contexts? Dinim, the halakhot of ve'ele ha-mishpatim, and kapara, the pasuk in parashat naso. I would have said ha-chamishum kapara ve'ha-chamishum hayuta. I would have said each one of them has a reason why I would have said, why the Torah specifically included women. For kapara, for their livelihood of ala'inyan, ketala. But with regards to murder, with regards to being, to, to, to you, you killed that person, maybe, maybe you would have said, but don't say it. Maybe I would have said with regards to killing a man, he's hayav in all the mitzvot. There I need to pay a certain ransom amount because I took away a person who's obligated all mitzvot. Maybe not a woman. Had you just taught me that third of the three pesukim, in other words, that if you killed a person, not only a man, but also a woman, you're liable in the same way. I would have said, oh, I killed a person. But when it's a lighter issue, Maybe it's only for men, not for women. I would have said perhaps it's only for men, not for women. In short, the Gemara says all three of these separate contexts where the Torah tells us the Torah is making equal men and women are necessary to teach us these laws are applicable to both men and women. Bring us back to our Mishnah, which told us that with regards to Nizikin, men and women are the same.